Welcome to deep listening, the second component. We talked about a lot last week when it comes to listening effectively, and namely, we really dove deep into creating conditions for deep listening. And the most important condition is inner enoughness, integrity, wholeness, groundedness. I hope you had fun with last week's homework, which was to create a grounding ritual for yourself, because by being grounded and centered and having a clear intention for your day, it's much easier to have access to big you. It's much easier to resist the temptation to take things personally. So I hope that was helpful. This week, if last week was about getting right with yourself and getting into that place of integrity, this week I want to help you get right with your audience, to help you with some tools for really connecting with the people or person or individuals with whom you are communicating. (laughs) We can tell when a conversation is starting to go off the rails. We know when the emotional weather in the room shifts from clear skies to stormy clouds, but few of us know how to gracefully probe someone to get a better understanding of what that storm is about. Because usually when we sense a shift in the room for the worst, we often kind of just white knuckle it. We get through our remarks. We hope to get through our presentation or conversation as quickly as possible. We basically ignore the storm right? We pretend not to see the face contorted in skepticism, or we pretend not to see the people tuning out and checking their phones. I think this is a huge mistake because it makes a real connection with an audience pretty much impossible. Now, just side note, I'm not suggesting you stop your TED Talk midstream to check in with a grouchy audience member in like row five. I'm talking about the everyday business of meetings and interacting with people as we communicate. Just want to make that clear. So how do you gracefully check in, right? The graceful check-in has two telltale characteristics. One, it has an energy of openness and non-judgment, right? If I am checking in with you because I can tell something changed, I can tell you're either disconnected, angry, cross, whatever, If I check in with you and you can tell that I've got an energy of kindness, openness, and non-judgment, you're going to be more willing to tell me the truth. So what does that energy of openness on on non-judgment looks like? It looks like your facial expression is relaxed and curious. Your tone of voice is relaxed and curious. So that's the first component of a graceful check-in is that you have the energy of openness and non-judgment. The second component is that you need a phrase that invites an honest response. These are my favorite check-in phrases. Ready? You look like you're having a reaction. Tell me about that. Or how about this one? I feel like I may have lost you at some point. Tell me where we parted ways. I love those two lines. I use them all the time. In fact, several years ago, and if you've heard me give a talk before, you may have heard this story because it's just such a great one. It's such a perfect explanation of how this works. Several years ago, I was brought into a very large publicly traded company to work with their leadership team to help them prepare for their analyst day presentations, which is what publicly traded companies have to meet with analysts once a year and they give them the outlook on the company. And it's a really, it's a, it's a very important day for the, the leadership team because they're performing for each other as well as the investment community. So it's a tricky day. And in this particular session, I was working with just one of the executives one-on-one and because I'd already met with all the others and I was doing my main 
workshop around presentation skills. And I was only a couple slides in, but I could tell my audience of one was growing more agitated and angry and annoyed by the minute. I mean, he was literally checking his watch, rolling his eyes, going like this. (sighs) So I gathered my courage and I said to him, I can tell you're having a pretty strong reaction here. Tell me what's going on. And he said to me, I don't know who you think we are or where you think you are, but our company doesn't operate this way. I would be laughed out of the building if I presented the way you're suggesting. And this is just a huge waste of my time. What he was reacting to is that I was encouraging him and all the presenters to stop presenting with those slides that look like documents that have like 400 words on them that make you want to weep with boredom. I was encouraging them to get more creative, more visual, do something more interesting during the course of their presentations. And he was not having it. I don't know who you think we are or where you think you are, but our company doesn't work this way. And I'd be laughed out of the building if I tried to run this game. That was painful for me because I find that I am very triggered by someone who questions the foundation of my work, the assumptions of my work, because I'm so certain of them, right? I know that audiences don't want to be presented to with hideous slides. I know this for a fact, right? And so I felt myself getting triggered in that sense of righteousness and that us versus them vibe. And also at the same moment, I was instantly sort of transported into my seven-year-old self with, you know, pigtails. Little me really, really wanted to run and hide. I mean, it was like my inner seven-year-old was like, he's right. You don't belong. You're not smart enough. Luckily, my training kicked in after just a deep inhale and exhale, which leads me to the second step of really good listening and getting right with your audience. And that is decoding. In any given statement, there are two pieces of information being communicated, right? The emotional message and the literal message. The emotional message is key. The literal message is important as well. But if we ignore the emotional component, we do so at our own peril because it can rear up at us. But also the emotional component contains so much information, so when I teach people how to map, how to decode a conversation, I have them draw a line. So if you're visually seeing what I'm doing, imagine me drawing a horizontal line. And above the line, I'm writing the word literal message. And below the line, I'm writing the word emotional message. So when you get good at this, you can just do it in your head. You don't have to like write it down. But when my client said those words, I don't know who you think we are or where you think you are, but we don't operate that way and we'd be laughed out of the building. This is a huge waste of my time. I took a deep breath and I mentally mapped his words using that model I just drew, or mentally drew. (laughs) And it looked something like this. Literally what he's saying is this is a waste of his time and he can't use the skills that I'm teaching. That was literally what was being said. But emotionally what was being said was, I'm frustrated because I don't have a lot of time. Two, I'm afraid to present this way because I'm afraid I'll be laughed at, right? And if I had just stopped at the literal message, I would have taken it very personally, right? 
it would have been a combo of us versus them versus inferiority happening if I had only listened to the literal messages. And those would have, those thoughts would have led to shame, embarrassment, and God only knows what. It would have caused my heart to race. It would have been a hot mess. But luckily, I didn't stop the literal message. I perceived the emotional as well. And the emotional message was that of frustration and fear of humiliation. And the moment I realized how afraid he was of being laughed at, I felt nothing but empathy for him. And I wanted nothing more in that moment than to ease his worry and support him. So I responded and I drew upon both the emotional and the literal content. And I said, listen, I'm realizing listening to you that no one gave you any background about me and why I'm here. I didn't properly give you that history when I introduced myself. And I really apologize for that. So let me give you context. I've been brought in with by your CEO to work with everyone in the executive leadership team. And this approach I'm teaching is going to be rolled out company-wide over the next year. So while it does seem like a massive departure for you right now, know that you will not be the only one trying some of these ideas out. It'll be everybody. Does that help? And he was quiet for a minute and he said, yeah, it does. And then he said, let's get back to it. His hostility was gone and he became everyone's favorite presenter on Analyst Day. No joke. So by honoring the emotional reality behind his statement, that need to not look foolish in front of others, I forged a real connection with him. Let's say for the sake of argument, he actually was the only one in the company getting my religion on presentation skills. And let's say the CEO wasn't yet on board, which can often be the case. There was a possibility he'd be left out of the building. So if that were the case, I might've approached it by saying something like, It sounds like you are operating in a culture that really values a more traditional presentation style. Even though attention spans are getting short and this style pretty much loses everybody, is that a fair assessment? Now, by saying that, I'm showing to him that I understand his reaction isn't personal. It's that he's not in an environment that will react well to something that's more visual, right? So by doing that and honoring his reality, I send a message that we are on the same team. We are not enemies in this conversation. And from there, I could have addressed his anxiety about taking a risk and doing things differently. Maybe I could have said something like, listen, if this feels too risky to try with the executive leadership team or the board, let's try it. It, You know, is there an opportunity to try it in lower risk environments where you could see if this approach gets you better results? If the answer is yes, then he and I are back on track and we would have come up with a presentation with appropriate levels of risk And we would have, you know, figured it out. If his answer had been no, I would have, and and he's not interested in trying out any of my ideas, I would have kindly thanked him for his openness, for his honesty. And I would have shook his hand, closed my computer and gone to my car. No hard feelings. I've had to do that before where I realize, you know what? This culture isn't going to be a good fit for me. It's nobody's fault. It's nothing against me. It's a style thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of times those same people will call me back a few months later and we'll and we'll restart, but sometimes they don't. And that's okay. No hard feelings. The point is decoding makes scenarios that might have otherwise been hard to read and painful to read become way more readable and clear. So one of your the things I'd love to give you as homework this week is try mapping the emotional and literal components of what people are saying during an actual meeting. 
This works really well if you're not the main speaker because you want to try it in low-risk environments where, you know, nobody will see you drawing a line. And you can kind of just practice this where it's easy to practice. Maybe it's during a board meeting where you're one of many people and nobody's paying attention to you or, or you're in a PTA meeting or a book club conversation, whatever. The key is to practice this decoding thing as an observer. In case you are not practiced at identifying emotional states, because that's a key part of decoding, here are some words that describe what emotions are often transmitted during a conversation. Words like enthusiasm, curiosity, joy, pride, fear, concern, anxiety, hesitance, resistance, skepticism, embarrassment, shame, disappointment, alarm, cruelty, anger, derision. You'll notice that sometimes the emotions that need to be decoded are positive. I mean, I've worked with people who have a reputation for getting really enthusiastic about something and communicating a bunch of stuff that was too much to the wrong audience. And so when I'm working with them, I have to see that the literal content of what they're saying is compromised. It's too much because of the enthusiasm. And so I have to find a way to speak to the enthusiasm to sort of as a coach, dial back some of the content, the literal stuff that's being communicated so that they don't get in trouble. This is a huge part of media training when I do media training for executives. Some, some people just get excited. Next thing they know, they've given a bunch of stuff away that they shouldn't have, that they don't have permission to give away. So this has a ton of applications. So we've talked about decoding. We've talked about the graceful check-in. Now let's talk about being a safe place for other people. So you know how big you only comes forward when you feel safe? It's the same is true of other people, right? If someone's attacking you or clamming up or holding back, it's because they sense they aren't safe for a reason. Remember, some people attack when they feel unsafe. The more safe people feel around you, the more likely they are to share their ideas and concerns and questions, the more likely they are to tell you the truth. If someone isn't feeling safe because they feel intimidated by you, your title, whatever, going out of your way to put them at ease with humor or warmth is a wonderful thing. But you should also try this technique. Mirror their body language. If you're talking to someone, if you're you're worried that you intimidate someone, Watch how the other person holds their body. If their hands are folded underneath the desk, that's a classic less than signal, right? It's like a beta dog signal. Put your hands under the desk too. Show them that you're energetically trying to meet them where they are, right? That immediately will change the energy in the conversation and put them at ease. Or if they were really curled up and sort of, you know, making their body small, try and just make your body a little smaller and make eye contact with them with your face in an open, kind expression. It is amazing how people will respond to this kind of energetic message. It's incredible. You've got to try it out. But being a safe place for people doesn't just mean being warm and fuzzy or being a doormat. Some people feel very unsafe when they sense you aren't strong enough to handle their fire and their heat. I have worked with dozens of people who have learned the hard way that their CEOs put them through a kind of testing period to see how mentally tough they are. This means that the CEO 
or whoever you're dealing with, tries to push every button conceivable to see how you respond. They are typically testing you for your toughness, but also for your passion and for your ability to argue a point without losing your cool. And I've seen instances where CEOs want to see how you lose your cool and they want to see you get shouty and weak or whatever. I know this is weird, but that may be what they need. It may be that a CEO wants you to fight back and wants you to come at them or raise your voice. It's, it's, it sounds bizarre, but I've seen it. And so the key is to figure out this whole ritual and to be ready for it. So being a safe place for other people means meeting them where they are, whether that means making yourself a little smaller or standing in your power and taking none of it personally and showing up and doing what needs to be done. Now, the next skill I want to teach you is what I call the holy trinity of listening. And that trinity is validating, paraphrasing, and clarifying. And I do not leave home without it. These techniques allow you to open up the field of possibilities wider than simply right or wrong or your way and my way in any given conversation. But more importantly, these techniques allow, they tell the people around you, I see you, I hear you, I understand your point of view. And here's the thing, when it comes to validating, paraphrasing, and clarifying, tone is everything. Sarcasm does not work here smarmy condescension does not work here. Remember that guy from the movie, The Office, the one that's like, so yeah, I'm going to need you to go ahead and move your desk into the closet. Don't be that guy when you practice validating, paraphrasing, and clarifying. Okay. Be yourself. Be big you. The key is to be practicing the techniques of validating, paraphrasing, and clarifying through a filter, a clear filter, the big you filter right? Present and tuned into that other person and what they are saying at both literal and emotional levels, right? Go into pure curiosity and discovery mode, and that will adjust the tone of your voice appropriately. Trust me. Okay. So let's start with validation. Validation nation. No matter what the person across from the proverbial table from you is saying, no matter how frustrating or distasteful or hideous you find it, find a way to validate what that person is saying. You can validate their point of view verbally or non-verbally. Non-verbal validation might be leaning forward with an expression of authentic concern or curiosity on your face, while verbal validation might sound like, gosh, I can see how frustrating this could be. Or I get it. I get where you could see things that way. It makes a lot of sense, right? Validating doesn't mean you agree with them it means that you show them you, that you understand, right? And validating people you like or agree with is really easy. That's kid stuff. But validating people you don't like or positions you find abhorrent or whose statements piss you off, I mean, that's some next level shit right there. This is hard. But as challenging as it sounds, once you learn how to do it, you will be shocked at what you're able to accomplish and you'll just use it more and more. So to be clear, validation doesn't mean saying you're right when clearly you don't agree, nor does it mean saying I agree with you when you don't agree. That would be inauthentic, right? Rather, it might be, this is clearly a huge concern and I could see how you feel that way. When we communicate from this place, it opens up everything. 
So that's validation. But let's talk about clarifying. Clarifying is exactly as basic as it sounds. You're just trying to clarify what the person is saying. Not only does clarifying allow you to gather more data, it shows the other person that you're committed to understanding their point of view. Clarifying questions could sound like, okay, do you mean X or Y? Is your concern A or B? Or my favorite, if somebody asks you a hostile question about something you've just proposed or presented on and you're feeling tender, you could try this one. You know, I'm sensing you've got some hard-won experience with this issue. Tell me a bit more about that so I can answer your question more thoughtfully. I love that because it shows like there's, you know, I'm picking up on some real hostility here and I need to understand where that's coming from before I answer your question about this project I've just proposed. You know what I mean? So that line of clarifying will unlock all kinds of information insight you never would have gotten otherwise. And it gives you time to respond. Ask, clarify, breathe, calm down. It's a beautiful, virtuous loop, right? Now, the third of the holy trinity here of deep listening is paraphrasing. Paraphrasing means repeating the other person's position in your own words. This shows that you understand and it gives them the chance to correct any misconception that you might have. So for example, you might say, okay, it sounds like you feel like the team has been unreasonable in how we've reacted to your plan. Is that fair to say? That's a great paraphrasing phrase. Or what I'm hearing you say is that you're really frustrated by the pace we've been keeping at this project. You thought it was going to move a lot faster. Do I have that right? The point is paraphrasing like clarifying has the dual benefit of showing the other person that you're listening while also making sure your assumptions are correct. While actually it's a triple benefit, it also allows you the chance to calm down. So the more you practice these three techniques, the more natural they will all sound coming out of your mouth, I promise, and the more confident you'll become in using them. But I want to talk about another technique called permission, asking for permission. Sometimes even with all of the validating, paraphrasing, clarifying in the world, you find yourself at an impasse with your audience. My strong belief as a coach is that it's better to call out an impasse and request permission to proceed than to white knuckle it through a conversation that was dead on arrival. Now, this is a really bold statement and it may not work for you. So I'm not saying this as gospel. This is my belief. When I, or a client of mine that's brave enough to do this, when I sense that I am in an environment that is deeply hostile, that is not interested in what I'm saying, I call it out in the kindest possible way. I make it safe to discuss the hostility and then I offer a choice. And if they don't want to hear what I have to say, I shake everybody's hands and I leave. And I think all of us need to do that. In fact, I was just working with a team in New York recently who was talking about this pitch that went terribly wrong one time. And they knew it was dead on arrival within five minutes. And it had to do with the fact that they had built an entire concept on a false premise. And that false premise got ripped out within five minutes of the conversation beginning. And instead of stopping and saying, we need to go back to the drawing board, thank you for your time. We'll be back. They white knuckled it through the presentation and the audience was too polite to call it and say, you guys need to go and come back. They just kind of passive aggressively sat with these 
awful expressions on their faces. And then the head of that team that was the audience berated this team for having wasted their time at the end of the 60 minutes. It was terrible. I just believe it is better to call it out, announce it dead, move on, come back with something fresh, right? Something to keep in mind. The way I like to get permission is I use phrases like, would you be open to, or would you be interested in hearing, or would it be useful to you? All those phrases create a decision point between you and your audience, and it requires being okay with getting a no, I'm not interested. So there is some risk. I mean, don't like be a maverick and be the only person on your team that's decided to try this. Like, Make sure you get everybody involved on your side to make sure you're cool with it. But white knuckling it with a disinterested or actively hostile audience does not qualify as like a full integrity situation. You know what I'm saying? If you get a no, you can use the phrase, I love this one. I completely understand. There are no hard feelings whatsoever. And if ever you change your mind, I'd love to work with you again. And then you shake everybody's hand and walk out the door, right? But being in a place of choice, integrity, and clarity sends a powerful signal to the audience that you are strong, capable, and trustworthy. Someone who is willing to call it out and deal with it is someone the audience trusts forevermore because it takes guts, right? So those are my big listening tools, you guys. And as you can see or hear, I guess, listening is anything but passive. Listening holds incredible amounts of power and can take a situation that seems catastrophic and can push it into the territory of connection and progress. It's miraculous. So I want you to think about a conversation you have upcoming, whether it's at work or at home. Choose one of these techniques to try out. I find that focusing on too many techniques at once isn't as helpful. Try a new technique each week or or each day, but try these one at a time so you can get a feel for how each one feels and you can get a sense of what you need to work on. My form of validation, paraphrasing, and clarifying might be different from yours, and that's great. But notice how the energy in the room shifts when you start to use these techniques. Ask yourself where the techniques were helpful, where they were bumpy, why. The more you know, the brighter you shine. So thanks for listening, you guys. Keep in touch. Please, if this is helpful, apparently rating podcasts is a really big deal. I never knew this until I had my own podcast leave me a note, rate it, give me some love on the iTunes platform. It means the world to me. And I hope this has been helpful, you guys. Shine on, you crazy diamonds. I'll see you next time.